Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress. That is WaitWhatPodcast.com. July 2022 brings many new things, both expected and unexpected, to our door, and one of them is this, our first episode of the month. Graham McMillan and I talk for a hale and hearty two hours about Axel Pressbutton and Laser Eraser, the Keith Giffen and J.M. Demantius era of Justice League, the current big swings being taken by DC creators these days, the first ten issues of the Alien comic by Philip Kennedy Johnson and Salvador La Roca, Eternals Volume 1 by Kieran Gillen and Isad Rebic, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and much, much more. We welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Laster, Graham McMillan, hello. Hello. How are you feeling? First of all, oh well. I mean, hmm. It's funny you should ask, Graham McMillan, considering we are podcasting. Or are you asking this off here? I'm. I mean, I'm asking you on the podcast, but also off here if that's easier to answer. Hey everyone. So I have COVID. Uh, and, uh, and Graham was trying to, I guess, lure that out of me, but, no, um, I was, I was genuinely asking how you're feeling. It's like, I know you've had COVID. I like, you know, you and I talked about this this week. Right. And I know that like your COVID has for what better way of putting it come and go. Yeah, it does indeed come and go. Um, uh, so I'm genuinely curious about like, it, it, are we at a coming or a going? We, I would say that generally I am doing well. I'm currently feeling a little tired. I may well have um, uh, pushed myself a little too much in the last two hours leading up to the podcast, which is to say between walking the dog and talking to neighbors and uh, having a phone call with a parent, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little... Uh, gotta catch my breath kind of thing, you know? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not as daisy fresh as I would like, especially since it's been a while since we've talked on air. It, it does feel like it's been a while since we've been on a podcast, but then part of that is also, maybe it's just me. Does it not feel like it's been, like, this week has been, itself has been like seven years long? I, it does. It absolutely does. Uh, and I have, I am completely confounded by the date like I've I've looked at the calendar at least half a dozen times today and been like, wait, it, when is this? And it's <laughs> half the time I'm shocked that it's I, I'm convinced that it should be at least a week later, and half of it is is also I'm surprised that it's yeah. So honestly, I listeners, if you don't follow my Twitter feed where I mentioned it, I tested positive for COVID on July fourth. Edie had tested positive two days earlier, and she had kind of. Um, She'd had a really pretty rough weekend. Not not super bad, I think, as far as COVID goes, but considering she's someone who more or less gets sick once every presidential administration, it was we were both kind of surprised at, at, at how much it seemed to take out of her. And so when I tested positive early Monday, I was like, hey, everyone, I got COVID, but thank God it really just sort of feels like I just feel kind of run down, like sort of more or less how we're we're uh, I feel right now while we're talking Graham was kind of how I felt when I texted that and then when I tried to go and to bed that night oh <laughs> it was just bad and so for the most part I think I feel very lucky slash fortunate you know I was I've been able to take the time off from work you know first I thought well I tested positive from COVID and I'll just work remotely 
Um, but after those symptoms hit, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to do that. So I think I feel like very fortunate that I've been able to just sort of lounge around and, uh, play bad video games and read comic books of various stripes. And so I, I would have to say I'm okay. We may have to call the, it, 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 I I may throw a flag on the ground, uh, if, you know, at 90 minutes instead of our regular two, if I'm still feeling this this brain dead or, or I start I, having that, even that, more difficulties. Yeah. Yeah. That only seems fair. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. But how are you? Cause I know you, Oh, oh Graham McMillan, so many things every time I talk to you. Uh, yeah. And, and some of them I can talk about, some of them I can't. Mm. Um, so the one I can talk about, I guess, is I get a COVID booster this week cause I'm doing Comic-Con, uh, mm-hmm. not next week, the week after. And the COVID booster just knocked the living shit out of me. Wow. Uh, Chloe and I both COVID boosters on the same day on Mm -hmm. Wednesday and Wednesday night we're both like I feel kind of a bit you know I don't feel great but that's fine I feel a little bit under the weather you know like you've had COVID boosters you feel a little bit shit but not great right yeah right and then Thursday I felt sick like Mm -hmm. I felt sick sick Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt so sick that I actually was like sorry everyone I will work to I've got to stop like I literally you know I've I've sat here in front of a computer for an hour and I can't think so just gonna have to call it um and so yeah so thursday was kind of lost and friday i was fine and then today i slept for like three hours in the middle of the day by accident wow well that's probably good i'm sure your Which body never happens it. yeah that's like not many, you many people have pointed this out mm-hmm. i don't nap mm-hmm. um and yet you know on the evidence of today i clearly do well i mean let's you see know, if it becomes uh, yeah, a regular I, I, habit I, I lost like three hours basically yeah um, I feel better because of it, but yeah, that that was that was unexpected. Hmm. Um, that's happening. There is work stuff that is genuinely surreal that I don't particularly feel I can talk about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, work has been interesting this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, suffice to say that there was no newsletter that went out yesterday because review went down. I should check whether the review is back up because it wasn't even back up. I gotta say night. it was back, down back all day. I was kind of like, wow, did the whole? Yeah, no, it was it was down all day. Yeah, it was back up now. Okay, uh, but good. I wrote a newsletter for yesterday. Oh, okay. Um, and it was it was done, and it, like it, I was putting it in the system mm-hmm. to the point where I had added images, and I was literally writing a headline when review went down. Mm. Like, that's how close it was to being done. Mm. Um, but it specifically referred to, like, a work thing that is now not the case. Wow, really? <laughs> so it didn't get sent, but it's good that it didn't get sent. Right. Because the thing that it was talking about is not actually happening when I thought it was happening. Wow. So it was one of those strange experiences where two things are completely outside of my control, and yet they both kind of coexist and, like, co-interacted perfectly right like right. i couldn't send the email but it's good that i couldn't send the email because if i sent the email i would have basically been lying i i would have been <laughs> talking about a thing that is now not the case huh that okay. is now not true yeah, yeah. Right. right um so hooray question mark <laughs> um yeah it was, like, you know that's that whole experience has been really odd and mm-hmm. like when the thing that i'm talking vaguely about now becomes public knowledge which i think is going to happen in the next week or so mm-hmm. uh I'll talk here about like what I'm talking about and people will understand more. But let's just say that uh, there was a deadline to do a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that deadline's been pushed. And that came as a surprise to me. Huh. Okay. 
All right. Yeah. Well, I mean... Yeah, but we're not. I will speak uh, in less code for you. <laughs> well, thank you. Because you, you, you happen to know what the thing I'm talking about is. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. It's, uh, in fact, I'm just going to put it in the chat right now. Just so oh, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't, 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 don't. Uh, on the one hand, um, I feel, if nothing else, I feel like it's, I sometimes feel like I'm cheating um, when you are, move into your Oracle at Delphi coded speak, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, in that I get to find All out the, later, the, you know what I mean? Yeah, so also, like, this is, I should say, like, for everyone thing, like, this is, this is a me thing. This is not like a, a comics thing. This is not like a, a you know, you know, big exciting news for everyone type thing at all. Oh, this is literally a like something to do with. Well, Jeff, you know what it is. I literally told you about the thing, Graham. Graham, I love you, <laughs> but we have to change the subject because I was tired before, and now I basically. <laughs> Honestly, it was like this feels like the world's worst community theater version of the Batman. Like I don't I don't I'll take your word for it. You can tell me later, but right now I'm like I'm just I'm just too tired. Let let's talk about some other comic book stuff and then we can come back. Yes. Uh, um okay, what do you want to talk about? Cuz I can talk about a bunch of comics that I've read because as you also know, I've been buying a lot of shit off eBay lately. You know, let's start with that. I don't necessarily know. I know that it's been long enough that we since we've done one of these that there's probably a pile of old news that we can talk about, but honestly again, I can't think of it and there's some other stuff I've talked about. Oh, can I, read can I tell you my like Can about. I tell you my conspiracy theory though? Oh, well, of course, absolutely. So San Diego panels have been announced in the last few days as we're recording this. Like, right. recording this on Saturday and they start announcing on Thursday. On Thursday, there's a Miracle Man panel. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that Miracle Man panel was announced, there were two people announced as being there. Mm-hmm. And now if you look up the panel description, there's one person because they've remo- removed one of the names. And I think they removed the name because they accidentally revealed who's going to try Miracle Man for Marvel. Shit. So, because it is... I'm going to have to look it up now because I can't remember the, the person's name who's actually uh, listed on it. Wait, uh, so are you going to tell us the name of the person that you think might actually be writing it? Yeah, gonna... I, w- I will. Oh, okay. Um, initially, uh, it said that this person whose name I can't remember is going to be doing it. And, and I quote, Miracle Man superfan Donny Cates. And then Donny Cates' name was just lifted entirely from the description. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. Which makes me think that Donny Cates is going to be doing Miracle Man. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, well, that's great. Terrific. <laughs> Uh, let's see. If, well, let's see. If he's back in now. Let's see. Age of Miracle Man. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Leonard Sultana, an Englishman in San Diego. Uh, it says it's time for a timely retrospective. And before that, it said Leonard Sultana, an Englishman in San Diego, and Miracle Man superfan Donny Cates. So, right. And they, like Donny Cates' name is just vanished from the description. Hmm. 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 Wow. So I think Donny Cates is going to be writing Miracle Man for Marvel, and I think that someone messed up in putting his name in there. I could be wrong. This like this is entirely speculation. I have sure. nothing to back this up. Yeah. Other than like Marvel likes to put Donny Cates on projects. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, for all I know, Donny Cates has just decided he's not going to go to San Diego. That's right. perfectly possible. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 Right. Uh, but there's something about the fact that it was there on Thursday and it was gone on Friday mm-hmm. that made me go. Oh, I get it. <laughs> I well, this is a great this, theory. I must admit, someone, someone gave something away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so there, that, that's my there, there's my San Diego conspiracy theory. Ooh, I like I, it. I think on Thursday we're going to get an announcement about what Marvel's doing at San, uh, with Miracle Man, mm-hmm. and I think Donny Cates is going to make that announcement, and I think Donny Cates is going to be writing a Miracle Man project. Interesting, interesting. Um, huh. Well, let's. I, I should say in the uh, in the. Uh, interest of full disclosure, I emailed Marvel and was like, "Suddenly, you write a Miracle Man and explained why I was asking," and I got no response. Right. So, for all I know, like on first thing on Monday, I might get a response. They're like, "No." <laughs> but... It'd be great if they get a response and they're like, "Yes, but you can tell nobody," and then you're going to be yeah, like, "Jeff, you got to like, wipe I, this." Yeah. 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 I've already put it on the podcast, you guys. Sorry. Well, I'm just I'm telling you right now before before they tell me not to. This is so exciting. I feel like we're just just Flying walking with a path. safety net. Yeah, I was I was going to make some sort of underwear free reference, and I just didn't think it seemed appropriate, Grant. But I, I like walking. I like walking with a safety net. Walking. I said. I thought I said without, but it would be it would not surprise I, me maybe, if I said walking maybe with. You said without, but I liked with. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. It's a shame I don't have the energy to edit because I swear to God, if it if people listen and it's like, yeah, walking without a safety net, you'll know that I edited it not to make myself just to prove Graham wrong. Because that would that'd be honestly funnier if you actually said without and then you edited the I was actually thinking about that as well too. I was very really tempted. Funny. You're like, I'll make that joke work. <laughs> me, but I'm going to make that joke work. Absolutely. It's worth the effort. Uh, uh, so, yeah. So, well, thank you. Thank so, you yeah, for the little there, conspiracy theory and place yes. of news. I like that. Yeah, tell me tell me about them comics. Let's talk about them comics, man. Well, okay, so I, I have – so I uh, – you know this, Jeff. Listeners, you don't know this. I've gone insane on eBay recently. Uh, I've genuinely just been like, I remember this comic. I'm going to see if someone's selling on eBay. They are. It's only a dollar an issue. I'll fucking buy it. Oh and my I've done god! That yep. For a bunch of comics. Yeah. Um, and some of them have been like just joys, like Axel Press Button and Laser Razor and Press Button series, which are two six issue series from Eclipse. The first one is reprinting the Laser Razor and Press Button stories from Warrior, mm-hmm. which are written by uh, Steve Moore and drawn by Steve Dillon. Wow. Um, and then, like, Steve Dillon disappears midway through the series, and then it's drawn by Alan Davis and David Lloyd. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and, and, like, you know, this is, like, 1984 version of these artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, in the prime, right? Right. Um, and then it was brought back as a series called Laser Razor and Press Button, and that's six issues of all new material by the same creators. So wow. it's Steve Moore, Steve Dillon. Um, I don't think Alan Davis is in that, but Mike Collins does some. David Lloyd does some. There's some Cam Kennedy in there as well. Wow. Wow. Like, it's, it's you know, just this amazing collection of creators. For people who don't know, which is basically everyone, because most people have forgotten about Axel Pressbutton at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Axel Pressbutton is a character created by Steve Moore, who originally appeared in a comic strip in Sounds, which was a, a music newspaper in the UK. Uh, uh, written and drawn by Kurt Vile, which was a pen name for Alan Moore. Right. This is uh, something Alan Moore did before he did Miracle Man or Marvel Man uh, and any of his 2000 AD stuff and, and, you know, all of that material. This is like one of the first things that Alan Moore did that was published. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Warrior started, uh, Steve Moore basically took the character back and was like, I'm going to do them as, as my own strip. I'm going to do it under the the pen name of Pedro Henry, because of course he did. Um, oh. But also, um, 
I'm trying to think of a way of describing it. And the way it describes it to Chloe about a selling car is basically like, it's like 2000 AD if 2000 AD was hornier. Mm, mm-hmm. and, and that's that's kind of the appeal of it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It feels very... It, I wouldn't say it feels particularly Alan Moore-esque. Like, Alan Moore has always sung praises of Steve Moore and talked about the influence Steve Moore had on him as a writer. Right. And I would say that Steve Moore is much closer to, like, a John Wagner, Alan Grant mm-hmm. than he is an Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. That makes um, sense. His his interests are arguably more esoteric. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's slightly more uh, just... Um, willing to go for the weird as opposed to the joke, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seymour, I should say, is also the person who created Future Shocks for 2008. Mm. Seymour wrote the first, I think, couple of Future Shocks in 2008. Oh, wow. um, so, yeah, so Seymour is like a really big deal in the British comics industry, even though, weirdly enough, he never had like a big hit and right. he never broke into America, but he's this incredibly important figure. Right. Uh, and so Laser, Razor, and Press Button was the strip that he wrote, one strip that he wrote for Warrior. Um, and it's... Axel Press Button is... Um, basically, think of Mean Machine from Judge Dredd. Mm-hmm. If Mean Machine was slightly less uh, of a bad guy, slightly more psychopathic, and only quarter human. Literally... <laughs> Only like his top, like right side, mm-hmm. everything from basically like his breast up, mm-hmm. on his right side and his head are human, and everything else is a robot. Um, he's got an Axel Press button because on his cyborg body, there is literally a red button that says press, and if you press it, it gives him an orgasm. Oh, wow! Did not know that. Right? Yeah. Yes. Um, he does not, he only has one hand, which is a robot hand. Oh, no, sorry. He's got one hand with a human hand. The other arm is a scythe. Yeah. Which at one point is also replaced by, like, a cannon, but he prefers a scythe. The reason he prefers a scythe is because he was a florist. He was a mild-mannered florist who was part eaten by a plant and so developed a phobia slash intense hatred of plants. Wow. Uh, so that now whenever he sees plant life, he must destroy it. And so he goes into a cutting frenzy whenever he sees plants, which is why he prefers a scythe. Wow. Yeah, right? This, this stuff is bonkers. Yeah. Yeah, that's so funny. Because, of course, I remember the stuff on the stands and never picked it up. Just never seemed yeah, interested it's, in it's it. absolutely bonkers. Yeah. And, yeah. and, like, I think you'd like it now, now that you've read Dread so much, yeah, if that makes exactly. sense. I yeah, exactly. I think you'd be like, oh, I get it. I understand mm-hmm. this now. Because mm-hmm. there is, it really does feel like, you know, for people who like, like, the 1980s Dread in particular. Yeah. This is, it's not the same thing, but it's very close in terms of, like, um, comedic intent. And also pulpishness, for want of a better way of putting it. Right. You know, there is this, especially because the Warrior episodes were only like five or six, seven, eight pages. Mm-hmm. Like, they were short. Mm-hmm. And so the first series is basically a collection of those. It's a compendium of those. Um, and so you get that sort of Dread-esque pacing as well. Mm. You know, where it's like, something happens, filler, cliffhanger. You know, and that, <laughs> that's sort of the, the, the pace of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Laser Eraser is someone called, oh God, I can never remember her name. It's, it's something like Mr. Mistalis. And she is 
she's the sexy female assassin, basically. But it's revealed very quickly that she's actually the clone of uh, an alien queen who has been raped and murdered by someone that she's out to kill. Mm-hmm. So her, her, like, you know, I, I am a, you know, I'm an assassin who can't be stopped, but also I like to fuck thing is basically cover for, and also I'm hunting for this guy. And when I find him, I'm going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And, and the first series that the warrior material is basically like that story. Mm-hmm. Does she find him? Uh, there's also a character called Zerk in there. Zerk, I think, had slightly more of a weirdly like U.S. centric life than any than any other character from it. Because uh-huh. Zerk also appeared one. Uh, Zerk is so. Think of uh, imagine a pig without a head, right? Yeah. Uh, who's the size of maybe a football, mm-hmm. and is on a little floating podium, and who sweats a lot and is incredibly horny. <laughs> And that's Zerk. Huh. And Zerk just, like, propositions women throughout the entire thing. Uh, and there are some Zerk backup strips where he does the same thing. Right. With other women. Uh-huh. And that's of the character. Wow. I got to tell you, Zerk, um, Zerk makes me wonder if Steve Moore was actually reading some Japanese manga from the time. Because I got to tell you, they're that... He seems very much lifted from the Japanese manga tropes. But wow, I'll have to look into that. That's um, amazing. And then uh, there's also in the first issue, because Eclipse is publishing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also published, like, the adverts in the first series are a crazy-ass time capsule. Mm-hmm. Because the advert, like, the first one is like, why don't you pick up issue one of Strange Days by new creators Peter Milligan and Brendan McCarthy. Wow. And you're like, wow. And then, like, in issue three, it's like, we're launching a new series called Miracle Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Issue one of Axel Press Button has, a, uh, I think it's Steve Moore and Gary, Le- uh, Gary Leach drawn um, Warp Smith story. Ah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's – it's because, of course, that stuff appeared warrior as well, right? Yes, right. Um, and so you have this weird thing where it's like this – especially the first series is this odd time capsule of not just, like, the early 80s in British comics, but, like, the mid-80s in American comics. Yeah, absolutely. When the stuff starts to come over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that stuff was fascinating. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, other than that, I've also got – Basically, uh, Chloe and I are maybe eight issues away from having a complete run of the Gifted to Manage Justice League. Wow. By which I mean Justice League America, Justice League Europe, and Justice League Quarterly. Jeez. Like all the Gifted to Manage stuff, which is like 100 comics all told. Um, And so I'm really curious because I've I've spent much of this week rereading that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Were you a fan of that stuff? Um. <clears throat> I, I simultaneously feel like you should have been and that you probably weren't. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Uh I I remember buying the first Giffen Dematius uh Justice League drawn by Kevin Maguire and mm-hmm. wanna say I followed the title for maybe at least I wanna say the first year and then at some point I trailed off. And and I don't I don't no, be hard to say why. And then, you know, occasionally I would sort of pick up and flip through the various other Justice League titles. And I, I think, 
I, I don't know. You know, honestly, I think it was all maybe just a bit too loosey goosey um, for me, uh, which is to say, I love the first several sets of issues, but for whatever reason, the I just I I I never I never quite synced up with the the creators. You know, like mm-hmm. I'd be down with the funny, then they'd switch to the serious, then I'd find that kind of off putting, then they would switch back to the humor, but it wouldn't be Maguire, it'd be like Bart Sears or whatever, and I'd be like I don't know, you know, and then McGuire would be back and I'd be like, oh, this is great. And then he'd be gone again. And then, then I'd be like, great. And then it was back to a serious storyline. And so I, I think for myself, for whatever reason, like that whole, you know, um, Keith Giffen's, you know, obsession with the, uh, with the Lords of Chaos uh, during that time, uh, probably because he himself was an avatar of them. I think I just <laughs> never really quite synced up with what he was doing when he was doing it. So does that, does that make sense? So Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. I'm asking mm-hmm. because in part, like I was a complete Justice League. Like that was my thing. Right. I remember picking up the first issue and being – not here's the weird thing not blown away by it but fascinated by it like just i don't understand this like i have uh i'm trying to think what age i would have been it came out in 87 right yeah like I summer so. of 87 so i would have been 12 right 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 mm-hmm. um and i remember very clearly being like i know what a justice league comic is and this isn't a justice league comic right I, like i am one of those few people who actually was a fan of justice league detroit right <laughs> that's also, right i was also a fan of x-men at that time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know x-men was my jam right. before this and justice league one came out and i was like i don't get it mm-hmm. like i'm fascinated by not getting it but i don't get it um and like i just picked up legends that this series came out of and like legends had john bernard yeah and, you know, john burn like drew superheroes and they look like superheroes and like that series in particular has like carl kiesel inks yeah so it's like weirdly angular burn in a way that like to this day still is my favorite burn by far mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and so it was like you know i picked up just league and it's kevin mcguire and he's inked by terry austin and i'm like okay but this doesn't look like the characters either right yeah and who's right. Mr. Miracle? i don't get it who's oberon mm-hmm. like who are these characters? where did they come from they weren't in legends you know all these I, and so i didn't understand but i was fascinated by it and i was like well i'm gonna you know it's also issue one of justice league i'm gonna get you two this is great like it's issue one of justice league you know um and so i got issue two and i liked that a bit more and somewhere i think it was issue four i think it was when booster gold showed up mm-hmm. um i was just like well this is my new favorite comic <laughs> this this is everything i want in a comic and i couldn't tell you why i could not tell you why but it did like i 100 was just like yeah this is everything i want in a comic mm-hmm Mm-hmm. This is it. This is exactly what I want. Well, I, I, uh, I do get that honestly, and I think that's for me one of the things that the appeal for the first several issues of the Justice League really were kind of, uh, um, you know, because you mentioned X Men being your jam, and I think I think for a lot of us back then in the. the the 80s and the pre-internet days and stuff like that. The idea of having comic books where superheroes did just as much, if not more, hanging out than they did do all the super punching 
was mm-hmm. really incredibly attractive. Um, yeah, and, it was really exciting. But also, like, it's worth bearing in mind, X-Men was kind of going super dark at that point. Exactly. Exactly. So as that was more or less kind of... I don't know, fading from, you know, X-Men in part because the balance was just, had just kind of gotten skewed uh, so heavily. Um, I think there were a lot of places and, you know, for someone like me who was older than you, but it sort of started this, like the Wolfman and Perez's Teen Titans also had a certain degree of, um, you know, carrying over from the X-Men of like, oh, this is, this is this is what I want. These are the superheroes I want to see hanging out in that I'm emotionally vested with, and I and I think Justice League for me the um, Giffen uh, was it Dematius or it was Fleming? Wasn't yeah, it? Or? No, it's, it's, it's Giffen Dematius. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Giffen, uh, Giffen Fleming was Ambushbrook. Okay, for some reason I thought he followed over, but yeah, sorry because those guys worked so tightly together, and then it was over to Dematius. Uh, so, and of course I love the ambush bug stuff. So the tone was kind of fine. Maguire's art looked great. And so I was kind of down for, honestly, they, they really did sell me on the idea of a more comedically broad, these are about superheroes hanging out and the way that they don't get along is... You know, how do I put it? Like, almost like the stuff that we love in the Fantastic Four when Johnny and Ben are fighting. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, yeah. shenanigans. I, I think there's a, yeah, there, there's a lot of, like, that early uh, Lee Kirby mm-hmm. family dynamic in yeah. Justice League. Like, exactly. and, you know, it never goes cosmic in the same way. It's, it doesn't have the same balance of, like, you know, family slash adventure. Right. But the idea that, like, these guys get on each other's nerves, but they love each other. Right, it's it's very central to Justice League in the same way that it's to, to Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Like the, the idea, and I think the more the deeper you get into the Given to Manage Justice League, especially by the time you get to like Breakdowns, which is this like sixteen part finale storyline, mm. the idea that like they are family is not only recognized by the creators but by the characters. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there is you know the Justice League gets disbanded like twice in that story. Wow, um, and and they. they they hang out together and they stick around with each other and they help each other because at that point they're family, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So weirdly, I never fully, uh, there was a whole bunch of stuff that came out of legends. Cause I mean, it's kind of a murderer's row of books, you know, you've got legends uh, and out of it comes what, uh, Baron and Guise's flash. You've got suicide squad by Ostrander yeah. and, uh, McDonald, McDonald. Uh, you, yeah, you've got Justice League. Yeah, uh, and it's not coming out of it directly, but like Burns, Superman, Surger in the same time. Right. Yeah. Um, just either simultaneously with the end of Legends or just after Legends is when Batman Year One started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they're all basically contemporaneous. Like uh, the very the last issue of Legends features technically the first appearance of post crisis Wonder Woman. Uh, like right. pre-George Perez uh, right. issue one. Yeah. And, um, uh, and Shazam, so yeah, you know, the Captain Shazam, Marvel. Yeah. yeah. So, Although the Shazam from that is super weird, but yeah. Well, see, and that, so, but the weird thing is, I think in their own weird way, because 
Legends, which is Burn and isn't Len Wein writing it or dialoguing it's it a, or it's something? It's Ostrander's plotting it. Wein is dialoguing it. Right, and Burn is drawing it, and and yes. and so a lot of the stuff that I think of as springing out of Legends is really kind of um, not very much like Legends at all. You know what I mean? Like Legends well, I mean, is sort that, of that was kind of that was kind yeah. of the, the joy of it, right? Mm-hmm. The Legends is like, and here is a new beginning for the DC universe, right? And the you know it doesn't look anything like. It doesn't and, you know, look anything and do- isn't plotted like anything. Like man, yeah. like just oh, yeah. When I, sorry, and... when I said doesn't doesn't look, I didn't oh. just mean visually. I mean yeah. like it is nothing like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just nothing like it. And that whole influence of a whole bunch of the people who were, you know, who came out with Mike Gold out of first comics, you know, uh, really changed things up in this in in kind of a crazy way. And for whatever reason. I stuck with Flash and Suicide Squad and Justice League. I I don't know when I trailed off, but I I want to say I gave it a year, maybe not. So I suspect you probably gave it a year. So here's the weird thing about Justice League, mm-hmm. um, like having re- like I said rereads, like Justice League slash Justice League International slash Justice League America because it gets renamed twice in the run, um, and Justice League Europe and Justice League Quarterly, because mm-hmm. um, I have basically I have. The issues I'm missing are available in DC Infinite. Mm. So I basically was able to reread everything. Because mm-hmm. uh, Just League Europe is the only thing that's not reprinted. It's not available digitally, and I have all the Just League Europe issues. Okay. Um, uh, it's the weirdest, messiest start to a book. Because the first seven issues, basically the quote-unquote Justice League era, going into Just League International, the, the relaunch in issue seven, mm-hmm. are, are really a really tight storytelling yeah. there's a fumble in terms of like issues five and six have like set up you know the lords of order slash chaos villain the gray man mm. who is basically just like like they get rid of him in like three pages in issue seven <laughs> it's like if, like i've got something else to do i'm just gonna like you know they set him up as like essentially an, an omnipotent foe mm-hmm. for two issues and then issue seven comes along and they're like yeah never mind fucking like we'll just get him off stage uh, and it's like even uh, you know even as the the thirteen year old at the time I was like what the fuck just happened <laughs> like, like again this is my jam but this is terrible like this is terrible. <laughs> right this is terrible. um but then after that like issues uh through to like maybe issue fourteen mm-hmm. it feels like filler. Because issue eight is the we're setting we're traveling around the world and setting up our embassies because we're an international United Nations team now. Right. Issues nine and ten are Millennium crossovers, mm-hmm. which do not feature the central cast of the book in issue ten. Mm. Like literally, the core cast is missing from this issue ten. Uh. Um, issue eleven and twelve are Maxwell Lord's origin, mm-hmm. and then issue thirteen is a Suicide Squad crossover. Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about and right. And so you yeah. probably dropped off somewhere around there mm-hmm. because it did feel incredibly choppy. And it's only around like issue 14 or arguably 16 or 17. Because mm-hmm. 14, 15, or maybe 15, 16, 17, like McGuire's gone for the book for, for a while. Mm-hmm. And he comes back around issue like 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. Um, because you get like Giffen draws an issue. Giffen draws the Suicide Squad issue. Wow. Um, 
and you get uh, Steve Lealoa draws like the first manga can storyline, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is two issues and three. Um, and so yeah, and so like the lack of Maguire and also the fact that it does feel like every like second month, it's not just like a new story, but like it's a story that's completely disconnected from what went before. Mm-hmm. Made it feel a really read for a while and then it gets its rhythm back and you hit like as you like i said 15 or or 16 or something mm-hmm. and you go you're like it's just it knows what it is by that point yeah and yeah, it's that like, sounds like okay right. um what was interesting on this reread for me was i remember as the like really genuine massive fan of this that my relationship with the book you know ebbed and flowed right and i remember you know, you you dropped off the book, but there's a uh, there's a storyline where Blue Beetle and Booster Gold essentially like set up Club Justice League International on mm-hmm. like an island turns out to be sentient. And I remember at the time thinking that it was leaning too far into the comedy, uh-huh. right? And it was like it it had lost the balance because the balance I think was important mm-hmm. that it was it was a comedy book, but also it wasn't just a comedy book. Mm-hmm. Right, and then you sing it. I remember, I remember at the time being like, "This is too much of a comedy book." Mm. Like you've you've got to you've got to step back, and then they immediately step back too far. Yeah, and like right. like you were saying, like Despero comes in and like it they pretend that Mister Miracle has been killed mm-hmm. for like three issues, mm. and so everyone's like in mourning, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and you're like, "Oh, too much." No, <laughs> like, I've got the whiplash now. <laughs> um. What's what's strange in reading it now today is that that's just not there anymore. The Club Justice League storyline is not as comedic as I remembered it being. Hmm. Like, it's a comedy storyline, but it's not as broad or... I'm trying to think of a good way of saying, like, not as disrespectful to the characters as I remembered it being. Hmm. Like, I, I genuinely remembered it being, I remembered my response being like, you're okay, but you're treating these characters like they're all idiots. Yeah. Right. Like, it's, it's a story where, like, I know these characters are... are comedy characters at this point but they're also meant to be like you know they're meant to know what they're doing they're they're meant to have some ability to to uh basically operate in the real world without falling over themselves every two seconds right and taking that away and that, that's actually not the case oh, um desperate storyline as well it's not as dark as i remember it being it's also not as long as i remember it being interestingly enough i remember that being like five or six issues and it's like three really um yeah, the balance is much better than I remembered it being. Hmm. It's much more coherent across the entire run. All the way until it gets this like sixteen part thing where they're trying to wrap up every plot line. Um and that's when things just get uh really messy in a fascinating way. Mm-hmm. Because it's a sixteen part storyline, but it's across two books, so it's really just eight issues of real eight months of real time. Right? And it feels very much like Giffen and I presume Demandis have decided we're coming up on our fifth anniversary. We have done Justice League for that entire time. Giffen's done Justice League Europe. They've launched Justice League International. Uh, sorry, Justice League Quarterly. Like, it's become a franchise around right. them. Mm-hmm. And they've been responsible for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Like, Giffen Demandis uh, writes the first two issues of the Quarterly book, which is like an 80-page book. Wow. In addition to the Justice League uh, America material, in addition to the annuals that they're also doing. Wow. Um, so they're doing like a lot, like they're doing a chunk. Given to Manius co-write the first 
nine issues, I think, of Justice League Europe before Damanis disappears to do other things. Damanis at this point is also doing Mr. Miracle and Doctor Fate, mm-hmm. both as ongoing series as well. Mm. Right? So they're doing a lot. Mm-hmm. Giffen is also co-plotting Legion at this point. Wow. And he's drawing Legion of Superheroes. Like so Jesus. so they're they're very overworked. Mm-hmm. So they decide, like, okay, we're leaving Justice League, like, you know, we've basically done everything we can. But we have eight months to wrap everything up, and there's a lot of dangling plots. And what's amazing is the ways in which they're like, we'll try and wrap this up. <laughs> because they wrap up the dangling plots with such speed that you can tell that they either didn't know where they were going or they didn't give a shit. Uh-huh. But they also back things that didn't seem like they're dangling plots. Wow. <laughs> so you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> there's there's a there's a five issue storyline uh, in the middle of Justice League Europe, um, where basically the the you may or may not remember the very start of Justice League International slash Justice League slash Justice League America is a story where three like um, Avengers analogs end up in Russia, and almost has nuclear meltdown. Mm-hmm. Right, it's the Silver Sorceress, Blue Jay, and the Thunderer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's Scarlet Witch and and Ant Man and and Thor. Um, and Sor- Silver Sorceress and Blue Jay become members of Justice League Europe eventually. And there's a five part storyline Justice League Europe where their villains come to our Earth. Mm. And they're, they're, they're twists on Marvel villains, right? Mm-hmm. So you have Lord Havoc, who's Doctor Doom. You have uh, Gorgon, who is Medusa slash Doctor Octopus. Mm-hmm. You have Tracer, who is basically Wolverine, which is kind of hilarious. They're in the, like a villain team. Uh, there's Dream Slayer, who is kind of uh, Dormammu. And there's another oh. one who's I literally can't remember, because I know there's five of them, and I can't remember the other one for the life of me. Right. Um, there's a five-part storyline, and you know it's it has an incredibly weird resolution. <laughs> that do you want me to? Because you're not going to read these comics. I can spell the resolution, right? Because they're not they're not in DC Universe Infinite either. Okay, yeah, please. Um, so the resolution is they're all animatronics, basically made by an alternate universe, uh, Walt Disney, who comes and switches them off. <laughs> <laughs> For real. Wow. Apart from Dream Slayer, who turns out is like a demon from another dimension. Mm. But, like, otherwise, yeah, they're all basically animatronics made by uh, Mitch Wacky, who is Walt Disney. Um, and he just, like, is like, oh, no, shit, I'd switch them off. And he'd been in cryostasis in his dimension because he had the flu, because they didn't have, like, people died from the flu in his dimension. Like, that's the joke. That's that's the end of the story. Wow. Um, they bring them back in the 60 part thing. Jesus. Uh, yeah, it's 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 genuinely wacky, no pun intended. Um, yeah, it, like it, the the sixteen part finale is so it's like fever dream esque. Yeah. By the time you get to the end, you yeah, know, it starts with with Maxwell Lord, who's the backer, like the quasi Machiavellian backer um, of the Justice League, who across the run of the Given Demani series becomes less Machiavellian. Yeah, like there, if there is uh, an overall plot to the given to manage Justice League, it's that Maxwell Lord starts as shit and ends up being a nice guy because he hangs out with with good people, right. right? And and you know that's not just me projecting. Like there are stories in there 
that make a point of saying this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it reveals uh, around shit that issue twenty four. So it, it, around issue twelve, you get Maxwell Lord Secret Origin. The Maxwell Lord Secret Origin is basically like he's a yuppie whose ambition stops at nothing, and he teams up with the Construct, um, who is an old Justice League villain. Uh, who's basically like, if you kill your boss, I will help you build your company into a mega conglomerate. As long as you do what I say, you can rule the world. And Max Lord's like, great, into it. Right. And one of the things Contract said is basically like, form a member, the, uh, form a team of the Justice League and control them. Mm-hmm. And I will, I will create fake threats for them to, to defeat. And then they will get the backing of the United Nations. And then I will be in a position to control all the governments in the world. And all that happens, except at the very last minute, Maxwell Lord is like, no, I don't want to, like, I don't want the contract to control all the governments. I will rebel against. And that's the, like, that's the story of the secret origin. Right. Uh, A year later, in issue 24, it revealed that Maxwell Lord has a superpower. Uh, As a result of the Invasion miniseries, where the gene bomb went off and all of a sudden people got new superpowers, he has the power to, as he puts it, nudge people's minds. Right. He can't control minds, but he can basically give them a shove to thinking certain things. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and he does that for like the next year or so in the comic. And he's not doing it in a bad way per se, but he's doing it. And there's a visual signifier. He gets a nosebleed when he does it. Right. Um, and so like, you know, it's not accidental. They're clear when he's doing it. Right. And he does it to convince people to join the team or to stay in the team or to convince people not to be mad at each other. Right. Okay, but he's doing it. He's manipulating people. And then around issue 41, I'm making these numbers up. I think it's around 41. Mm -hmm. There's a story where basically he has a dream where everyone takes him to town for for doing this. (laughs) Where he's like, all the the heroes are like, you're just like brainwashing people. (laughs) Like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. He's like, no, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. And he goes, he becomes like a superhero even. He calls himself like Maximum Force or something in the dream. <laughs> um, and like he has, wonderfully, he has a nose tube to collect all these nosebleeds, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, uh, but, the, but the end result of this is basically like he comes out of this experience and he's like, oh, okay, I, like, I can't do that. It is really shitty to manipulate people and to, to, to give them nudges. Right. And so, you know, when he does this in future... Um, like it's either you know an extreme circumstance or it's something he then like has angst about afterwards. Mm-hmm. Then um, he gets shot at the beginning of the 16 part crossover, and and the first like you know family drama is oh no dad's dying, right? Right. Um, he wakes up midway through the crossover, and spoilers, it's not actually him. Huh? Dream Slayer of this other team is possessing his body. Ah. And Dream Slayer then uses the power to manipulate other people to basically like evil ends. And surprise, surprise, at the end of the story, like, you know, everything works out fine. And Maxwell Lord is Maxwell Lord again, and he's awake. But he doesn't have his power. Ah. This is like immediately walked back by the next creative team, by the way. Oh, but he, yeah, he doesn't have the power at the end of it. But also, he has come out of all these experiences, and he's basically like, okay, but I still want to be in charge of the Justice League, because the Justice League is a force for good, and like, what else am I going to do with my life? Like, I've experienced what it means to try and do good. I want to continue to try and do good. 
like and everyone else leaves the Justice League and he's like, Well, I'll just build it up myself. Right. Because like this is this is the what I should be doing with my life. Mm-hmm. Um And again, like, you know, it's hilarious because Maxwell Lord, you know, ten years later is going to be retconned into being the guy who shoots Blue Beetle in the head and starts off. Well, see, right, exactly. The sort of really so much of this stuff gets un like kind of undone. And and so Interestingly enough, uh, um, I today was on the streaming services and um, had read the first issue of Human Target when it hit DCUI like two months ago and then forgot to follow up. And this week oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. had checked in and, and was like, oh, she's free. Yeah, there? exactly. Yeah. yeah. So basically sat down, reread the first three issues, sorry, reread the first issue and then read issues two and three today. All in a go, as we know, Greg Smallwood's art is just genuinely breathtakingly gorgeous. Yes, so absurdly beautiful. And, um, but one of the things that that sort of um, is rough about Human Target in the sense of rough in that I don't necessarily want to per se start a fight but i'm only i'm surprised that you were no pun intended uh, a booster of the series considering it is a it is very much a like to practically to the point of self-insert fanfic love letter to the justice league that you know it being tom king is also got some serious barbs to it and so when i put it down i was like well, i don't really want to talk about this with graham because i don't want to start a fight with and then literally, again i'm talking about justice league and you're like yes well. and i'm like oh this is going to be rough but let's try and frame it in the larger context of maxwell lord really him him coming back shooting a blue beetle in the head having his neck you know broken by wonder woman in this whole whole big move to into was it infinite crisis i guess there's that's well, yeah, down to crisis, infinite yeah. crisis um and i guess i guess what i should say and maybe this even touches on wonder woman 84 <laughs> it seems like these books are read known and i think very fondly remembered by people in the industry why is it that they kind of can't help um bastardize it well i mean gritting it up even as they sort of are trying to celebrate and point to it as the very thing that they're not you know that they're not respecting sort of i suppose or is or is that just me you know what i mean like i kind of feel like the justice league everything that you all that you described um it really is a very prominent era for dc and a kind of a weirdly um i don't know like it tends to be of the era that I feel that DC people talk like they're actually creating or doing 
during a period when it was arguable that they were not. In other words, sort of Jeff John syndrome, you know? But do you th- no, okay, do you think that's accurate? That or well, well you're have to unpack that a bit more. I'm not sure I like I literally am not sure I follow you what you're saying there. You're saying sorry. current yeah. DC creators think that they're part of something in a similar spirit? I think so, or they want to pay tribute to it. I, um, I think there's definitely people who want to pay, pay tribute to it. Right. 100%. I think yeah. I think you're very right. Okay. Uh, I think for DC as a company and for honestly almost any generation of DC creators subsequently, mm-hmm. that era, like the quote unquote post crisis era, the immediately post crisis era, yeah. is like a, a creative high mark for the company. Yeah, definitely. You know, like if you mm-hmm. think about like 86 through like 88, even, mm-hmm. you've got, like we said, uh, Justice League, Suicide Squad, uh, Flash. You have uh, Watchmen still being published then. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Sandman starting either like right at the tail end of that or immediately afterwards. You've got Animal Man starting then. Mm-hmm. You have Doom Patrol. You have uh, you have like all of the, you know Batman Year One. You have a Batman or like Mike Barr and Alan Davis's uh, Detective Comics, which yeah. is a very different type of Batman story, which is then followed by uh, Wagner and Grant and Brave Vogel's Detective mm-hmm. Comics. Mm-hmm. You know, you have uh, Perez's Wonder Woman, but you also have Wolfman and Perez's New Titans is yeah. around that point as well when Perez comes back to it. You have the history of the DC Universe. Like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, such – it's an embarrassment of riches right. for that company at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, that it is like this incredibly mythologized thing, you mm-hmm. know, where of course anyone's going to be like, yeah, I want to be part of that company. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah sure. That, that's mm-hmm. the company I'm working for. That's the company I'm at. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the best will in the world, I don't think DC's ever come, ever come close to that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also makes sense that everyone is like, yeah, I, you know, my new series really has a buzz about blah, blah, blah in there. Right. Of course you would either say that and or believe it. Mm-hmm. Because, again, that's like the high mark of DC. Um, you know, I've, I've said before on here and, and, you know, on Twitter, like, I love Dark Crisis. I really am enjoying what, what Josh Williamson is doing with Dark Crisis. I'm enjoying, like, the spin-off books. I can't, this is the annoying thing where, like, I know I've read some, but I don't know if they've come out yet or if I've just read comps. Right. But, like, I've read the Tom King, Chris Burnham, Superman book. Mm-hmm. I've read the Dark Crisis Young Justice book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I think it's fun. As much as I like it, like I like it and read it as an infinite crisis riff as opposed to a post-crisis or crisis and infinite earth riff. Mm-hmm. And I say that despite the fact that like Josh is like all but calling out crisis and infinite earths. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, as I, I read, this is the you know the the oracle thing that you hate. But I read issue three of Dark Crisis wow. uh, recently, um, and it like. There's specific Crisis and Infinite Earth strips he's putting in there, like very particular references. Right. Uh, but it still reads to me as Infinite Crisis, mm-hmm. right? And it, and that's not a dig at all. I think mm-hmm. that uh, Infinite Crisis is actually complete. I think Infinite Crisis is a fun uh, event, but also I think that the lead up to it was great. Yeah. I think Infinite Crisis and then the four miniseries and yep. all the other stuff that was like really leaned towards it. I thought that was incredibly well done. I thought that was really fun as a reader. Yeah, you know, I thought so one too. Thing liked, one of the things I've liked about Dark Crisis is that if you're reading Infinite Frontier and then Just League Infinite, 
mm-hmm. there is the sense like things are building towards this mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and then you get this justice league uh 75 and it's it feels as if it's again disparate elements that are building towards this whole right you know which i, I think is a, is a really fun way to uh to construct a crossover mm-hmm. right but again dark crisis is infinite crisis to me not crisis the Earths. I mm. think that um, I think that Justice League, the given Damati's era, mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, couldn't work now. Um, it is super fucking messy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And honestly, like it's really sloppy. Mm-hmm. It's sloppy in a way that I just couldn't see DC sign off on now. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a dig on DC as a company. Um, like it's I I. Justice League, bless it, could never have been an Avengers book. Marvel would never have signed off on that comic mm-hmm. in a million years. Because Marvel, ever since, I mean, honestly, ever since like the 70s, has been aware of like, well, these are our big characters. <laughs> like, you treat them with respect. Mm-hmm. You know, even when fucking Bill Mantlo doing a series of villains, essentially, mm-hmm. you're treating characters with respect. They're the they're the Avengers, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The first year and a half of Justice League and slash Justice League International is messy as fuck. Yeah. And kind of gets away with it because because of the Justice League Detroit era, no one gives a shit about Justice League. Right, right. right? It's totally devalued, to, yeah. You get to restart the book at number one and you get to go, it's called Justice League, it's called Justice League International because you have to take a big swing because no one gives a shit about Justice League anymore. Right, right. Right? And these days that just can't happen because even if Justice League, the comic, is selling poorly, DC and Warner Brothers Discovery, more importantly, are aware that this is Justice League. Mm-hmm. This is a brand. Mm-hmm. And this is a brand that you have, to, you have to at least pretend is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have to fake it till you make it. Right. Um, I, I really... Uh, I really appreciate what's going on in action comics right now. Okay, the Philip Kennedy Johnson War World story. Hmm. I'm not sure it works. I'm genuinely not sure it works. I I find myself rereading it a lot, mm-hmm. in part because I don't know if it works. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I really admire the ambition. I admire the themes. I find a lot to appreciate. And I find it very difficult to like, right? But there's a sense of it's a big swing because this is Superman. You do a big swing with the Superman book. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, you know, talking about comics I've read in future, I read the first Ram V. Raphael Albuquerque Detective Comics as well this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, again, is an, like actually the Zdarsky uh, uh, Jimenez book. Uh, relaunch of Batman, which is the, which came out this week. Mm-hmm. Um, like these are books that are very aware of like you were doing the big characters, you do a big thing, mm-hmm. right? There's no, you know, I mentioned the the Grant Wagner Brave Old Detective, right? I love those Batman comics. I genuinely do. I think they're some of my favorite Batman comics. Yep. And one of the reasons for that is they seem so weirdly casual and understated. Yep, completely. In a way that I don't think you can do now. I just mm-hmm. don't think you can get away with now. Right. You know, I feel like every story featuring like a franchise character, which honestly these days is almost all the comics. Yeah. Has to go like big, 
has yep. to be a big swing. Yep, totally. Um, and so I think that you can't have the 1987 era DC again, right? I think you're right that there's a lot of nostalgia for it. I think you're entirely correct there. Mm-hmm. I think that there's also a certain sense of like revisionism as much as like grittiness. I weirdly enough don't find humans are particularly gritty. And I say that despite the fact that like the central plot of it is one of the Justice League has like tried to be commit murder. Right. And like, mm-hmm. you know, by issue six, you have a fairly good idea about who it probably is. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I don't find it particularly gritty. But I do find it like revisionist, right? And it's it's you know it's a black label book. It's not continuity, yada yada yada. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and like you know to kill off a member of the JLI in that book. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, but but I don't find it gritty. I do one hundred percent think it's one of those books where it's like it's this thing that you love but different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's a lot of that. I think there's a lot of like. Nostalgia, but not just nostalgia. Yeah, maybe uh, that's it. You know, it's it's like it's that thing that you love, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, to continue my trilogy of I've read things you haven't. Uh, <laughs> Batman versus Robin issue one is the Mark Wade. Um, God, what's his name? Dan Mora? Is that, yeah, no, no, no. It's no, no it's because it spins out of World's Finest. It ah, spins okay. out of that. It's it's a, it's a new mini. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's set, unlike World's Finest, which is set, like, purposely set in the past, Mm -hmm. Batman vs. Robin is set today. I arguably think it might be set slightly in the future of of current DC continuity for Mm -hmm. reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's it's not in the past. Okay. Um, And one of the things that's so refreshing about it, I fucking love the first issue, I should say. I really, like, I love that first issue. One of the things I loved about it is it is doing the, like, it's that thing you like, but different. But it's not doing it in such a way that I think you would go, oh, it's gritty. If mm-hmm. anything, it's just the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's like melodramatic, but very much not gritty. Hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's an odd thing to say. And I'm not going to like spoil anything, because again, it's not out like for a couple of months, I don't think. Um, but it's an odd thing to say, but if you ever want to read Mark Wade writing Justice League Dark... <laughs> It's it's like that, if that makes huh. sense. Interesting. Like, there's a twist there that you just don't think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you're like, huh, that's where you're going with this? That's kind of great. Huh. Like, I kind of really appreciate that. And it's it's the it's a way of doing the this but different. Uh, along similar lines, and this is the last thing I'm going to talk about that I've read that hasn't come out yet, but I specifically want to tell people to buy this. Um, the new Josie Campbell, Evan Shane or Shazam book mm. is out, I think this month mm-hmm. holy shit it's good mm. holy shit it's good um it's not only a good story josie campbell's story in it is really fun uh the pitch is basically what if mary marvel is the only shazam now mm. um due to things that have happened in in both the recent shazam miniseries and teen titans academy billy has basically gone to live in the rock of eternity Mm. Billy Bat going to live in a rocket's fraternity and so has taken the power of Shazam from all of them. Because remember, part of the, the Jeff Johns thing was the power of Shazam gets shared on, amongst all the foster kids. Right. Uh, so that's that's no more. So Mary's like, yeah, well, okay, don't have that anymore. Fuck it, I'm going to college. Wow. Uh, and then events happen that she gets the power of Shazam. Um, 
It's super fun. It's not gritty at all. Mm. At all. Um, it has an emotional core that is really um, immediate, but like simultaneously YA, but has depth if you're older, for want of a better way of putting it. Um, it's it's a fun book. It's a book that is well aware of the history and mythology of the Marvel family franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, again, is willing to like nod to the nostalgia while doing it differently. Um, but also, Doc Shaner's art is stunning. I'm sure. Stunning. Like, I had to, like, I read the book, and then it literally went back through every page, because mm. every single page has at least one panel where you're like, this guy can draw the shit out of everything. Yeah, right. right. Every single page. Every page. Um, it's one of those comics, I think it's just like four or six issues. It's a mini. It's one of those comics where you immediately go, this should be an ongoing. Right. Right. There's no reason this shouldn't be an ongoing because it's that good. Mm. Um, but like Batman versus Robin, uh, I, th- I think it's called New Adventures of Shazam. I can't even remember what it's called. Yeah. Um, I'm looking up right now. Uh, but like like uh, Batman uh, versus Robin, it's um, it's it's doing the it's the nostalgia for the thing you like, but different in a way that it's not like. One of the Justice League killed someone, and again, I say that as someone who likes Human Target a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think sorry, it's called New Champion of Shazam. Um, uh, I I I like Human Target a lot, and again, I don't think it's particularly gritty, even mm-hmm. though, like I said, the twist is one of them is a murderer, and also literally the kill off a member of the Justice League. <laughs> yeah, in issue five. Like I don't, I read it as. I read it, honestly, it's more than anything, I read it as a Donna Westlake novel. Mm-hmm. And, like, Donna Westlake's fun. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, even mm-hmm. Parker, the Parker books are fun. Right. They're, they're, they're not funny, you know? It's, it's not like Dortmunder. But mm-hmm. they're fun reads. Fast, fun reads. They're snappy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Human Target is that. In large part, because, again, Greg Smallwood's art is just phenomenal. Oh, God. Just amazing. Um, strong but, stuff. yeah, I... Uh, New Champion Shazam is Greg Smallwood level good, I think, in terms of visuals. Wow. Like, Shaner's, Shaner's art in it is just shocking. Shocking. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't... I know you read Stranger Ventures. Yes. And I think Sh- I think Shaner did really good art in that as well. Mm-hmm. But his character acting in New Champion of Shazam mm-hmm. is, is miles above it. Mm-hmm. It's miles above, and part of it might literally just be having like a younger cast lets him exaggerate the expressions more. Uh, part of it might be that there is like a broader emotional spectrum to work through. Because mm-hmm. again, I like, I like Strange Adventures a lot, but like basically the material that Shaner's given in Strange Adventures is like Adam Strange is stoic and or traumatized. Right. Like right. that's it. You know, there's mm-hmm. not a lot of. of range there for him to work at in terms of emotional uh, acting and, right. and new Shazam gives him a lot more and he fucking runs with it jeff it's mm. such a beautiful book it's such a beautiful book 
Wow. I would love to get that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's really, really – like, again, I think Josie Campbell's story is great. I really do. I think it's one of those things where you're like, well, why hasn't anyone ever done this before? Not just, like, Mary as the champion. Like, not just, you know, well, sure, Mary's just Captain Marvel. Great. Like, yeah, you know, that's 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 a good enough pitch as, as if only. But um, but what she does with Mary in that first issue and then the cliffhanger of the first issue, which is basically the hook of the series, mm-hmm. um, it's just like, oh, shit, that's yeah, of course. Like, I'm in I'm in for that story. You know, like it just it works. Hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. a really it's a really good first issue. I I I wholeheartedly recommend it to everyone listening. Oh, uh, new Champions is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, I, that's a, I feel like I took a, a complete like I, I took the long way around in answering that <laughs> question. <laughs> um. Yeah. You, that is fine. That is fine. I it it laid out so much material um what's funny is the weird things of like oh how i plug this into what i've been reading um comes about in in weird and awkward ways so do it um well i'll 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 get there let me just say as a bit of closure that i do think that some of what you're saying is interesting and to me kind of hopeful because um King as a sort of semi wild card aside, which I think is, you know, fair. Uh, I, I do think that DC is, um, they're, they're, they are fleshing out this sort of post Dio era in a way that is, you know, admittedly with figures that have come up with, within that era, like Williamson or, mm-hmm. but, you know, but, but trying to find a different area, error, an area or era that doesn't seem as dark. You know, Tom Taylor's working on titles now, of course, um, in, in a way that sort of, they aren't like super dark titles that he can leaven with some, some DC optimism. Rather, it's, it's stuff that can seem more openly hopeful and yeah. and play with more positive stuff. So I should say that even the question that I was asking was very much thinking about, um, you know, Jeff Johns very much glommed on to Maxwell Lord and 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 the and that sort of infinite crisis esque reinvention of him, and um, and so I think I was trying to to point towards some stuff that I realize in a way is kind of out of date. Like, I don't think that, you know, I think that we talk about the post DiDio DC era. It sort of seems that if we're not in a post John's era of DC, it certainly seems as if his, his influence is on the wane. Like that's spoken like someone who's not read flashpoint beyond. Well, no, I mean, and you may (laughs) prove me wrong, but I think that was exactly my point is, is the fact that infinite, uh, sorry, the dark crisis and the dark crisis stuff is the stuff that is the center of where DC's at and flashpoint beyond feels more like an afterthought and and kind of just doesn't seem to command the center stage attention. yeah the attention that that 
that you used to very reliably count on John's commanding, you know? So, um, so yeah, I think, I think you talking about a whole bunch of the stuff is very smart and sensible. And, and I realized that for myself, yeah, like I said, what I was thinking of and admittedly in a very limited way is somebody whose influence is, is maybe not uh, as great as it used to be um, within how DC is uh, creatively comporting itself and someone who is very much kind of um, still very much marching to the beat of his own drum, which is fine, but you know, you can't really use it to, to, um, cast, uh, uh, you know, say that everyone else is, is following. So, so I appreciate you actually kind of walking us, uh, through things and kind of out of that misconception. That being said, flashpoint beyond, uh, what is happening with that? Is there anything happening? Is it, is it worth is it worth I, paying attention I, to or no? I don't know. And mm-hmm. I've read like four issues of it now, Jeff. Four I issues. Don't know. Wow. Wow. I, I, okay. I want to say at least issue. Okay, so you've got to remember there's an issue zero, right? So mm-hmm. I think issues zero, one, and two are out. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm. I've read issue three as well. Mm-hmm. I um not sure (laughs) like genuinely i'm not sure what is happening in that book Mm -hmm. and i'm genuinely not sure i don't want to say why i should care but like i'm not sure if there's uh i don't know how much of it is like jeff johns has a vanity project that he wanted to do Mm -hmm. or if this is like going to be one of these like stealth things where they're like and this is setting up the real crossover that's coming up Mm-hmm. Because there's some weird multiverse shit happening in it, mm-hmm. um, which literally could be either at this point, right? Because right? um, you know that this the central conceit of Dark Crisis, right? Or don't you? Uh, yes, I guess in the the it, but my understanding and it's so funny. I, Dark Crisis Two came out this week, and I was like, I, sh- I should pick that up, and then I was like, no, and then. Today, I was like, oh, shit, I should pick that up and read that because you had mentioned in the newsletter how much you'd enjoyed it. And, of course, good fodder for the talk. And then I forgot yet again. I read the first issue. Did you you like it? Because I was going to say, like, unless you liked it, then why would you pick up a second issue? Well, you know, sometimes it's a talking pointy type thing. And, And but the fact is, no, why I did not pick it up is I didn't particularly like the first issue. It struck me as... There were some bits and pieces that I liked in it, but I, which I just was a, I wasn't all the way there, and b, um, there were a few points in it that felt, you know, like you said, it's something that had been building for a long time, and weirdly ironically, I don't think this is how you intended it, but the comparison to Infinite Crisis may hold true for me in the sense of, you know, Infinite Crisis really had all those, you know, the countdown and then the various countdown miniseries and all this stuff building. And by the time that Infinite Crisis sort of comes on and and the lights hit, um, it felt like John's had to do some unfortunate plot hammering to make things happen and or... Um, I think that Infinite Crisis is one of those crossovers that will never know how heavily 
it was written, rewritten, re-argued how many points Johns had to change as the DO changed mandates or things. So all of which is to say Infinite Crisis, I had a huge chunk of hopes for. And at least the last, the first time I read it and one of the more recent times I reread it, I was like, and eh, it doesn't, it doesn't really hold up. It's got big moments in a kind of like we've assembled them in the checklist kind of way, but they don't, to get there, it feels a little eh. I felt somewhat similarly about the first issue of Dark Crisis, particularly because it seemed like there was a whole like, I don't know, like, I know Superman kid and you're not him, you know, kind of thing that I, it just, it didn't, it didn't quite resonate for me. I just kind of felt like it was... It was worth for me, if nothing else, being like, I will wait for it to hit DCUI, even though that feels yeah. like it will be three years from now, you know? So I mean, it, will, it will literally be the end of the year. It's the crazy thing, right? I, I know that you say that, but I got to tell you, like you said, because we've talked about the fact that this week has felt a hundred years long, I will say that... While I was hitting up the streaming services this this week, which I'll get to and it'll tie in with another one of your points, um, I was like, oh man, you know what? I I keep hearing really good things about the Zeb Wells, John Romita Jr. Spider-Man book. Uh, looking online, it looks like there's five or six issues of this out. I got to jump on Marvel Universe. And I was like, where is it? And, then you're and of disappointed. course, yes. <laughs> Right? And so, and the other thing that, that is hard is um, both both DCUI and Marvel Unlimited, the way that they're set up is, is like, it it's like immediate gratification, which should work, except for the fact that the frustration is an amazing slow burn. Like, looking for shit that is not on there is because you have to work so hard to actually prove verifiably that it's not on the service, you're just like, fuck this. So even though the first issue of that Spider-Man run will be popping up uh, on like the 27th of this month, I think, I was still like so burnt. And again, kind of this thing of the third issue of Human Target, like I'm like, this thing came out for ever ago and i know that it was you know it's a going by the math it's only six months or something but it's ugh, but it, i don't know maybe six months in comic book time it feels dcui feels forever and part of that of course is the fact that in many cases when they're releasing stuff on hoopla which they've been pretty up on like, you know, you suddenly hop frog their shit on Hoopla that you can read, and yet the series before it, you know what I mean? Like, it's the gap is just really broad and exasperating. So, and admittedly, I'm an old fart, and I'm not especially emotionally invested in it. But all of which is to say, Dark Crisis, I almost picked it up, but yes, managed to talk myself out of it twice for exactly the reasons that you said. Back in the old days, if it had been a two ninety nine book or whatever, I would have been like, okay, I pick it up. I'm, you know, it's almost worth the three bucks to be able to talk about it with Graham. But I just couldn't do it for however much money it's going to be. Um, 
The I mean, end. So almost, I, I'm, yeah, I'm really curious. It's got to be like three and eight and four and eight to nine, right? No, I, maybe. I mean, that's the problem. The first issue was six dollars. I sort of assumed that the second issue was would be as well, unless they. It's five dollars. Yeah, four ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, again, part of me is like, I, I suppose I should do that. It's like it's I'm a like number one bestseller. Yeah. No. Of course. I mean, which you know, on the one hand, good for DC. One thing that you mentioned was uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson in the midst of all that and his action yes. stuff, which I have a certain amount of curiosity in. Very well seated, thanks to um, Morrison's Superman and the Authority miniseries that sort of moves sideways awesome. into it. No, I know. I know. I know. And I, I've heard so many things about you. I think I think from you that, that, that Johnson has sort of had to try and adjust things a little bit to, to make it seem that he's at least even giving lip service to uh, Morrison and Morrison's crew. But uh, the main point is after you and I read Incubus for the last drop, <gasps> which I quite you read enjoyed. The Marvel, you, you read Johnson's. Uh, yes, Alien series, didn't you? Oh, yes, yeah. I did. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> no, Are I you? I read that as well, and I want to talk to you about it. Oh, okay. Well, that is great. Um, so, yes, apparently we both read... Did you read all ten issues, or have you somehow managed to read Beyond with your amazing powers no, no, or whatever? No, I've, okay. I've read all ten issues that are on Marvel Unlimited. I've actually been reading it since it started appearing on Marvel Unlimited. And I have feelings, Jeff, and I suspect you have feelings too, and I'm really curious if they're the same feelings. Well, me too, and that's, of course, part of me is like, yes, you go first. Um, I, I am, I'm, I'm conflicted. Because uh, Johnson, whose name I've heard around a lot, um, and this is bad. This is one of those moments where it's like uh, my lack of uh, research is going to come back and bite me on the ass. But, um, you know, Savage Avengers relaunched um, recently with... Yeah, with David, David Peoples is right now. Yeah, and... And one of the things that really struck me about the two issues that I've read is that Pipos has a lot of really solid, fun comic book ideas. Like each issue, he's got, okay, I'm going to pull this little bit of old comic book continuity and I'm going to pull this thing in there. So it's like, you know, they're not just fighting a dinosaur back in Conan's time. They're fighting devil dinosaur or what have you, or, it, you know, the first issue opens up where somebody's gotten a hold of a, a, a you know, um, sets off a mad bomb in, in downtown New York or whatever. And like a variety of stuff, not just the old shout outs that I like, but some really interesting ways of refiguring and, and reconfiguring things. And yet, I thought that Popos's writing was was fucking horrible. Like the plotting was good. The like, then this happens. This person punches him, and then as a result of that being punched, then this happens. Like the thinking out of the beats, the way of making the story have big moments and move from page to page. I'm like, okay, this all works. But it, but if you had told me that he had taught himself to read from. Uh, being locked in a, 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 a shelter, survival fallout shelter with a bunch of Bazooka Joe comic strips, I would believe you because I just did not. I was like, boy, this is 
this writing is markedly poor. And you and I, I mean, I think I have more respect for Jerry Dugan than you do, but nobody's going to mistake him for Alan Moore, Steve Moore, John Smith, you know, John Walker, Walker, Percy, like at any time soon, right? You know, and so the thing that really struck me about Philip Kennedy Johnson that is somewhat similar is... On the one hand, I thought the two arcs, uh, the second of which is not complete in the first 10 issues of Marvel's Aliens, are very smartly pieced together. And I even think that Johnson may be doing some really interesting thematic stuff, but... I also feel that it is really shoddily just a, st- it's, it's like, I don't know how you could describe it. Like it, if gold key comics, had had an illegitimate love child with heavy metal, you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like really stilted dialogue. And then someone's face blows up and then there's a whole bunch of stuff of like, Oh, here's a twist. Here's a twist on top of a twist. And here's the idea that the character that you know is all wrong, which would be fine if they didn't all feel like cardboard cutouts being pushed around on a stage. And, and there's sort of meta bigger mythos stuff that like you said because everything kind of has to be a big swing the first arc in particular has a lot of like ooh, there's big stuff here that ties into the alien mytho- mythos and i was like "Ugh, really um that being said <laughs> you after as is typical for jeff for all of that bitchery there was stuff that i found kind of um interesting and worth reading like i felt like if nothing else johnson figured out a way like i feel like a good alien comic and this is something that that incubus for the most part did did not do and i think was kind of a relief um because i think it would have been a little hard to place but one of the things that works i think about the aliens franchise is that um essentially the alien is death and chaos and horror and terror and it is everything that is awful but the people who have to face it are usually caught between the rock and the hard place of human civilization slash corporations that are also horrible and human monsters right and so mm-hmm. The first issue, the first arc of Johnson's Aliens felt very kind of, in that sense, by the book, interestingly and interesting enough in that it gets nailed down with a whole bunch of personal dynamics that I'm not necessarily sure paid off, but at least kept you turning the pages. The second arc, which takes place two years after on a planet a terraformed planet that has been run by essentially a religious cult that has made um, a truce with the corporation. Like they're allowed to have their own planet and their own religion in exchange for terraforming the whole planet. And then in the course of just as everything is the final deal is about to be um, signed off on 
everything sort of spectacularly goes to shit. On the one hand, it's just as frustrating to me as the first arc in that there's even more characters, which means that they are even more thinly drawn um, and just stock situations that that felt, again, really stock. But there's a whole area with the idea that essentially these religious pilgrims more or less start to realize or suspect that their entire religion has been um, fraudulently constructed to make them um, more pliant to the needs of things uh, is was really interesting to me, I guess. So I'll, yeah. Oh, and so I have to say that in a, book that I don't necessarily like, I am on the one hand reading it for exactly the cost that I want to read it at, which is essentially free, and in that extent yeah. will probably continue to continue read. Continue to read. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and then I should really, in some ways, bitch about Salvador La Roca's art, but I feel like I've... Oh, I, I, I will do that for you. Please do. Please do. I will do that for you by saying that um, while... We uh, in the last draw talked about Henry Flint being a great. Yeah. Self Dollar Roca is, excuse me, while I burp, Self Dollar Roca is almost entirely the worst alien artist. Absolutely. Not wow. only is art shockingly devoid of anything resembling like movement or dynamism, yes. it's also so sterile and clean. Yeah. That, uh, that it not only like makes the alien seem entirely boring oh, in its design. Yep, yep. It removes any sense of tension from yep. the story whatsoever. It's yep. shocking to me yep. that anyone yep. thought that he could make a good arc for this, but it's even more shocking to me that he continued on the second arc. Yeah. That an editor could go, okay, well, he fucked his first arc, so we'll replace him. Like, it's stunning. Um, yeah. I think that from the ten issues I've read, same as you, I think the first arc is uh, it's, it's it's a problem with alien comics in general, which is they get very caught up in their own mythology. Mm-hmm. In a way that, like, the alien movie, one of the things that's great about the alien movies is they don't explore their own mythology. Yeah, that's like, right. They'll, they'll, like, they'll pile onto it, and they'll mm-hmm. pretend they're adding more details, but they don't really fucking care. Yeah, right? right. For me, mm-hmm. this is maybe the only film that attempts to even vaguely explain any of the mythology. And even then doesn't really right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whereas alien comics you know whether dark horse comics or now the marvel comics are like mm, let's try and think about what will and yutani really wanted to do with the xenomorph we don't fucking care no one right. really cares yeah like, it's yeah. actually better that you don't know stop trying to explain it stop being like mm, well what if he has to go back and get it because the company wants him to get it but what if it's all a double bluff what if someone's trying to take down the company no one cares no one cares right literally no one gives a shit and stop thinking that that's what anyone really cares about the alien because they don't they might even think they do but they don't anytime yeah. you put it in a story it's boring yeah. Don't do this. It's very dull, which is why the second arc is so much better to me. Oh, good. The second yeah, arc, me too. Mm-hmm. Well, the second arc is basically like an alien film, right? Right. It's not mm-hmm. a particular alien film, but it's right. a bunch of people who are in an environment which in itself is interesting, like has mm-hmm. potential. Mm-hmm. Suddenly mm-hmm. there's a monster there, they're all going to die. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. 
that's an elite right. story, you know, and that you have uh, an android in there who is going to fuck things up. Sure, that's also part of the alien DNA. Yeah, right? sure, absolutely. You have, you have the idea that some of the people are part of this this religion, and they think the alien is actually part of the religion. Mm-hmm. Like they think it's basically sent by their god. It's also fits with like the alien films as I've seen them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's enough yep. of a, a gimmick, it's enough of a twist to be like, sure, they're all going to fucking die. Right. You know well, I mean? like, well, and we I think the story and that's yeah. fine. Like this, this is an alien story to me, but again, right. Roca is entirely the wrong artist for it. Oh, it's so Except bad. Can you, can you convince us in this planet that's been terraformed and make it seem like something that you haven't drawn and procreate? No, he says. No. And then he gets paid for it anyway. It's shocking how bad an artist he is. It's shocking, honestly, how bad the coloring services work as well. Like, mm. a different color could really change the impact of Laroca's work. I don't know if it's a deal he has with Marvel. I don't know if it's a deal he has with, like, the editors or the colorists. But it's... But it's something where... I, I mean, I just... I, he does it so... It's so poor, like, Laroca is so bad at what he does, but he's so unsupported by the people around him, mm. right? Like, Johnson is not writing a story that Laroca can draw convincingly. Right. Okay? The colorist yeah. is not coloring Laroca's work in any way that actually helps it. Like, it's shocking to me. I'm not sure you can help that art, though. I mean, you know, I, with, with, with all of the best will. Terrible art. I think it's terrible art. I genuinely yeah. do. I think yeah. there is so many things wrong with Loroka's art. Mm-hmm. I think it is sterile. I think it is personalityless. I think that his character acting is non-existent. I think oh, that so he bad. at some point has just given up on trying like to do anything interesting or worthwhile in terms of like line weight or mm-hmm. shading. Yes, anything. Right. Like I, I think it is. It is almost archetypally bad artwork. I genuinely mm-hmm. do. I mm-hmm. also think that if you've got colorists who had more of a personality on it, they could do something with it. Well, they, maybe. They, they, I, I mean... Good, but they could do something with it. I kind of got the impression, and I could be wrong, that the colorist is working so hard because, as you point out, LaRocca's lack of line weight makes everything feel... Like, it it kind of feels like the world's most expensively done coloring book. You know what I mean? Like, like his, his line weight is so bad and everything has no depth to it that the colorist then just basically is going insane with the spectrum filters to try and give you the feeling of depth. And or, you know what I mean, to give you the sense of foreground, background, like, I really feel it's the 21st century equivalent of the coloring you used to get in Marvel Comics in the 80s, where it's like, okay, we're going to put all the characters in the foreground, they're going to be yellow, and then the background is going to be brown, and that's going to give you the sense that these people are running down a hall, you know? And it's just, it's... it's... I mean, here's the thing, I'd, I'd love coloring like that. One of the mm-hmm. things that's gone wrong with comics color gone wrong, listen to me. One of the things that, that, that uh, has disturbed me, one of the things that has depressed me about comics coloring as B 
basically printing techniques and coloring techniques have gotten more advanced is that we've seen a lack of uh, expressionistic coloring and everything's mm. become much more literal. Hmm. Like character, hmm. characters aren't bright purple against a yellow background anymore. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You never get a scene where like someone is blue. <laughs> And, you know, like, everyone is basically the color that they should be. And that's honestly one of the things I would love to see someone play with with Roka's work, right? Yeah. You, you get scenes where, you know, the the aliens are, are uh, uh, you know, they're, they basically wander into an alien nest, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you, with the exception of, like, there's blue smoke behind them, everyone still is like lit and colored as if they're in direct sunlight or direct yeah. like artificial light. Mm-hmm. There's never mm-hmm. any idea that these people are in an environment ever. Oh yeah. Do you know yeah, what no, I, mean? I Every... agree. Mm-hmm. And they're always lit by above as well. Lit from above. Mm-hmm. It's mm. it's it's uh I don't want to say it's lazy because you're saying it's not lazy because again, everything is colored with such a fidelity to if these people existed in a, a photographic studio mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that like that's its effort it does yeah no it absolutely but does it lacks yeah. invention it lacks creativity yeah. it lacks uh emotion it right. lacks intelligence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right I, it lacks yeah. an emotional intelligence and a reading of the work mm-hmm. if you put you know and you know it's never going to happen. But if you put someone like a Dave Stewart on uh, on Salvador Larocca's work, I'd be really interesting to see what interested to see what they do there. Like, are they going to bring texture to? Because again, Larocca's work is devoid of texture. Yeah, everything is made of the same plastic. Everything. Yep. 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 Whether it's human flesh, like xenomorph skin, or for that matter, the metal of a spaceship. Everything yep. has the same texture in yep. a Salvador yep. comic. You know, um, like, what if you put someone like that on? What if you put, like, what if you got, and I'm at this point, I'm now picking, like, people who do their art entirely. But what if you applied, like, you know, Mitch Garad's colors to it? What if mm-hmm. you applied, like, Tula Lote's colors to it? Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, what if you actually did something uh, intentional with the coloring that, so... that actually, like, performed a service beyond simply this person's skin is white this person's skin is black right this this is a a blue jacket i do want to one thing i want to mention because you didn't mention their name and of course i don't know like it would be pearls before swine but but of course jordi belair comes comes to mind and part of why she comes to mind to me is one of the other things i read under uh marvel unlimited is the five issues of the thing by walter mosley tom riley and jordy belair that is what you should be reading graham because that book i I read the first couple of issues of that and i liked it and i honestly just forgot yeah just go (laughs) back because it's Mm-hmm. I've got to be honest. There was something about that first couple of issues. Is it done? Is the fifth issue the final one? Uh, uh, no, the sixth issue no. is the final one. Yeah, um, and it's it's a it's the book starts a little like the first issue. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm willing to give it a certain amount of credit for being kind of uh, offbeat, almost Steve Gerber esque thing comic book, and then kind of as it goes along it just kind of moves into that realm of like 
Mosley just not being as just just kind of like there's a bunch of there's a bunch of stuff that kind of feels like uh lazy cutting corners in a way that's just like wait, are you, eh, wait cause are it's you comics it better or worse um i would say the the writing gets worse the storytelling and art gets better so oh, art was great in that first issue Ray art was yeah. really good in that first issue and, and so and that keeps going so that part is like makes everything worth reading and i should say that the characters that mosley introduces in in the first issue um you kind of keep reading be in part be honestly in part because it's like the the art is beautiful um and i'm like mm-hmm. what i like how these characters are written i dislike how much mosley is writing shit that is like oh here's a here's a comment that should be followed up on, you know, that no one's going to follow up on. That is a, a hint that there's more to this character than you're seeing. And I'm like, yeah, it's just lying there like a flopping fish. You know what I mean? So, but that being said, there's some very, um, Riley's work is generally super expressive anyway. And Bel Air ups that by taking some very delightful non-naturalistic coloring choices that I oh, yeah. no, no. like a lot. Jordi Blair's colors are great. I honestly just yeah. like, forgot to mention. Yeah. To no, no, that. which is no. which is fine. Yeah. So I, I thought it would be a good segue to, to sort of mention in that sense. So, uh, yeah, yeah, no, but I agree with you. The art was just just fucking horrible like Salvador La Roca man I don't know the last time that I actually read a comic that I was like wow it's kind of a shame they I guess that Greg Horn wasn't around for it you know what I mean like you're just like ugh. like at at least I would have the sort of I don't know you know expressiveness from whatever ripped off porn screen grab you know because it's just really like like LaRocca's work is is deeply unconvincing when it comes to the people's faces and I'm like you know it's an aliens comic the whole point is supposed to be these are regular people caught in fucked up situations and what happens to them and I and like I said I think as frustrated as I was by some of Johnson's stuff where it's like he kind of breaks the some of the the fun horror film tropes out of nowhere uh, it's like at least they're sort of semi-fun or and again i feel i feel that there is a lot to be said for potentially i think the idea that you know yeah sure evil corporation whatever the idea that there is that there is a thematically much more how do i put it like civil there there the great thing i think i realized like the one of the things is really interesting about alien is that um it's almost like a naturalistic level a novel but like doubled you know the idea that you've got man against nature and nature is just a mean son of a bitch right and then you have society which in the alien things is a construct which is literally um personified by your various android dudes going around um and the construct itself is also um 
a corrupt mean son of and a broken. Yeah, yeah, a mean son of a bitch. And so the rock and the hard place nature, I feel like Johnson's kind of got and is in, and is willing to go in other ways. One thing that I found tedious is the some of the, some of those text cap pages. Some of the whole the the post Hickman influence of like, hey, here's a here's a here's a super graphically designed information dump. I'm 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 kind of tired of it, and I say that despite I want to say that today after. I swear to God, Graham, a month and a half of trying, I finally finished, well, maybe it wasn't today, Eternals Volume 1, Only Death is Eternal, which for those people who kind of liked the Eternals movie, like me, in terms of like, oh, yeah, they were doing this, and they were doing this, and this is kind of interesting, and they had a twist, and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that uh, one of the great things about uh, Eternals Volume 1, Only Death is Eternal, is it is the better superior version of the Eternals movie uh, crafted by... <laughs> I, um, I actually really like comic, but... Yeah. I, I like... I will I will be the Simon Mayo to your Mark Kermode in this case. <laughs> have, have you seen the um, Mark Kermode's YouTube video about him reviewing the new Thor film? No. It's It's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful... Uh, in, because he clearly hates it, right? And he's not ashamed to say that. But it's wonderful uh-huh. in particular because of the end. So he he spent like 10 minutes being like, it's terrible. Like, here's why it's terrible. I'm going through it. And right. then Simon Mayo, his co-host, is like, I I liked it. Um, and his anger at hearing that, uh, uh, he goes, the other host goes, yeah, there's some laugh out loud moments. And Mark Herman goes, when? When? <laughs> Name one joke you laughed out loud. And the energy there, it's like you and me. <laughs> that I was watching that and I was like, shit, this is what happens when people listen to Weight Loss. Yeah, right? This is what happens when I disagree in a comic and like one of us is just like, you fucking liar. You <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that is impossible. That is literally impossible. Well, yes. Yeah, I, I know I'll that you like link, the internal trade. I'll train, send you a but... link to the. To the things you can put it in the show notes because it is be uh, a joy to watch <laughs> yes yeah i would i would love to do that I, there's part of me that feels like that would be a thing that um because listeners during our skip week period type thing maybe it was right before the drop i forget but i was in the house on my own while Edie was traveling this was all pre-covid yeah 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 and um I was kind of like, yeah, I'm planning on, like, I totally watched uh, uh, R or Triple R, the really kind of amazing um, Tollywood movie available on Netflix. Loved it. It really was like, it's, it's, it's the superhero movie to see. Um, And even though it's a sort of made up historical epic and, um, and I was telling Graham, I'm like, yeah, I think I think I'm really strongly tempted to to like uh, watch Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness since it's now available to watch on demand. And Graham's whole like, oh my god, don't, but do, and tell me what you think, but don't watch it, it's terrible, but you gotta see it, but don't, oh my god, Jeff, what a mess that fucking movie is. I kind of want you to see it, but don't see it, but kind of do. Um, the bike story to this is. You said that to me like the day I'd watched it. Yes, and I, 
I think it's just a mess. I think it's it's just such a failure of a film on so many levels. Yeah, um, yeah, and you yeah. liked it. I did. I did. That's the weird part. Like, I absolutely know 100% of what you're saying, but I totally... I, 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 think, I think almost every choice that film makes is the wrong choice. I, oh, I, I at least I mean I don't know. It's weird. I so yeah. I, I really I, I, love, I love that. I feel that like you literally know what I'm talking about, and you're like, yeah, but I still liked it. Yeah, and I, no. I'm not being sarcastic. I I do genuinely think there's something great about the fact that I'm like, yeah, I think it just kept making the wrong choice, and you're like, you're right. However, I also really liked it. Yeah, no, no, very much so. I mean, and that's the thing that I think is kind of funny is and a little bit sobering is I remember us talking about like i don't know after batman versus superman dawn of justice and you're being like i liked it it was good i'm like how can you even say that and then i would go on and you're like yeah and it's exactly that yeah there doctor strange in the multiverse of madness is is the most indefensible film um <laughs> It, it really. I don't. I don't know. From everything I've heard, the, the youth horror film might be more indefensible. Yeah. N- well, right. I. You know, and that could be. Who knows? Maybe I'll end up seeing it. But I. I feel like. I mean, it's going to come on Disney Plus at some point, and we're going to end up seeing it. You know. That's sure. I think. I think there's part of. Um, you know, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness had a variety of things where I was like. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's fun. Ultimately, what it boiled down to where there were a couple of minutes where I'm like, it's it's weird. I liked it more than I liked Sam Raimi's Darkman. And, and I would say, I always thought Darkman was like kind of a shittily made movie. I think that Sam Raimi makes <laughs> movies that are really, can, are, are not good. And sometimes... Not even fun good, but just, like, kind of, yeah, like, unfun good, not good. And so, for example... I, I, wait, I, I have a question. Yeah. Before, before, is your... Is your defense of Doctor Strange 2 that it's not as bad as a movie that is worse? Um, no. No, 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 no. Okay. That's, that's okay. not a defense. No, that, yeah. no, no, no. no. That, I, yeah. okay. I'm literally that's talking about how like... impossible. No, 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 no. No, okay. I mean, I, I mean, I guess what I was building to was there, there was, I think there were, there were parts in the Doctor Strange movie that are identifiably Sam Raimi stuff that sort of made those parts kind of very watchable or interesting, um, at least visually interesting. And I think that helped for other parts. It's, it's, it, it's sort of, um, yeah, it's like being on a ship that is sinking. And at any given point, there's a piece of furniture that you can stand on and that's not saying anything about the caliber of the architecture in the room. You know what I mean? But, like, there were parts where I was like, oh, that's kind of, huh. And then there'd be other parts where I was like, huh. You know, I mean, for me, there's parts where I'm just like, 
who fucking did this soundtrack? This sucks. And I was like, oh, it's Danny Elfman. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. Or just various bits, as you pointed out, like the fucking hair and wig and makeup department people, like those people should have to give their wages back. Because that so I'm shit. I'm really curious. Because one of the, the complaints I keep hearing about Thor 4, which again, I've not seen, is uh-huh. um, apparently the special effects are like noticeably bad. Mm-hmm. I've heard multiple people whose opinions I trust comparing it to like bad green screen work of the 1990s. Wow. Um, and I'm curious what's happening because I'm not being overly catty when I say that the hair and makeup in Doctor Strange is noticeably bad. Yeah. It's not just subpar, like it's actually bad. Right. And if yeah, that's no. like then special effects in Thor. Also, like I saw a clip of Thor, and I was like, the costume is also like really bad in Thor, right? Thor as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're trying to cheap out on something, and it's showing. I have no idea. I mean, I honestly, Graham, I could be wrong, but my personal rule of thumb is everything is at least. 10% worse than it used to be because of how things are in the world. You with, know what with, I mean? With the COVIDs, yeah. With with the COVIDs and everything. Because I've found everything is worse than it used to be, markedly so. And some of that's like the effects. Some of it's the writing. You know, like when you go in and you look at shit on movies and you're like, these people are paid professionals. That is literally what I said about a couple of my last few doctor's visits like there's just Mm -hmm. everyone is not delivering at the level that they used to be and 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 i think we all have can can recognize it it's just i don't think we necessarily put the bits together and or but yeah no i i honestly think with all the best will in the world it it could be other shit they could be cheaping out i don't think that they really fucking are i just think that everyone is trying to do a job while they're like am i watching the end of blank and then you can fill that in for whatever particular thing that you feel is you're watching the end of um and and it just makes you that much worse like they're they're even talking about the the some of the they're not even and as a guy with covid i'm a little appalled by the fact that they make noises like yeah i mean long covid definitely has some bad effects but we're not sure about this current realm of covid currently as far as we can tell like yeah, everyone is more or less who's had COVID, you co- cognition impaired. Um, and I was like, wow. So, yeah, I mean, so I think there's that between the if you've had COVID and you survived it, but maybe you're not back to 100%, whether it's the fact that the world is just fucking. I don't think anyone's really delivering at the levels that they used to. And I think that is the wig and hair people just as much as it is my doctor, dentist, the people who are stocking the groceries, 
probably me on this podcast with you right now, and I apologize, listeners. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... <laughs> the only place we don't notice it, really, if you think about it, is DC and Marvel Comics, which are on an upswing, because they were utter shit, like, 18 months ago. I'm, I'm kidding. I don't know if that's true. Um, I I kind of love that, and also feel like that's where we should leave it. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Well, you, Mr. Graham McMillan, I gotta say, this was... I don't like the first arc, I'm sorry. Do you like, don't apologize. Not only have there been tons of episodes where I've done that, and as we all know, I am far less lucid than you are uh, and articulate, but additionally, it's just a joy. It's just a joy. It's delightful hearing you talk with excitement about these things. At some point, I've got things that I'm sort of slowly building about the romance mangas that I want to talk about. Yes, but... I, like, yeah, the, the next time we do a way well, which let's, okay, let's very quickly talk about um, scheduling. Not sure. for everyone, I think, but for the, the, the audience. Yeah. Um, next week is a drop. Yes. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, volume 37 of Judge Red the Complete Case Files. Yep. Uh, then we are off for a week because I'm yep. going to be in San Diego for San Diego Comic-Con. And yep. then we are doing the uh, the last wait one of the month, which will come out officially, I guess, yeah. on August 1st, but is really unofficially on July 31st. So yeah. just give us that wiggle room, everyone. Uh, yes. July has turned out to be a very weird month. Also, I'm saying all this while also saying uh, Jeff has COVID. So <laughs> if we all of a sudden have to like reschedule shit, right? That's just what's going to happen. Also, to be completely cynical, I am going to a convention, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be surprised if I have COVID after that either. Yeah, that is actually probably more likely a situation. So yeah, do give us some uh, some wiggle room in the summer months. But yes, next week, rock. Then a skip week. Then. Provided then everyone is healthy watch. and willing yeah. enough, another wait what? Yeah, and we will be. Uh, uh, and then the things in August. Then things in August might get crazy, uh, yeah. for reasons that we will discuss at a later date. In <laughs> part <laughs> <laughs> because I have discussed stuff with Jeff off off recording about it. But <clears throat> yeah, that's what we're doing in July, August. We'll see. Oh. Oh. Yes. Oh. Now you've no, yours, but now you've cut up talking about. No, it. sadly, I haven't. I haven't, Graham. I just realized. <laughs> so sorry. I just realized that I am supposed to be going to my <gasps> mother-in-law's the last week of July, the thirtieth. Um, the amazing. The thirtieth and the first. Wait a minute. What am I? Oh, the thirty. You know what? We're. F- if it wasn't for the fact that I would be out of town, uh, July does have thirty-one days. So it. So it would be, we would record on the 30th and I would upload it on the 31st, except chances are good. We're probably going to do two skip weeks because I'm supposed to be in Reno unless I'm not. So listeners, <laughs> it's all thrown into disarray. We're, it's all let's, play for our listeners. We've got a joke yeah. next week and then who the fuck knows is what we're saying. Who knows? We really don't again, know. Please be patient Jeff with Jeff has COVID and we made it through an entire recording. <laughs> so like, <laughs> who knows? Who yeah. knows what could happen? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Crazy yeah. things can happen. That's all I'm you saying, know. listeners. You know, uh, I, I think you're right. I'm also saying there's going to be show notes for this episode up on waywattpodcast.com. Uh, we have a Twitter account at waywattpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y. 
after that again, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I am at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M. Wait, wow. I've forgotten how to spell again. At G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Yay! Lord. Um, and we're a Patreon supporter podcast, which means Jeff's going to talk right now. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm going to keep it short because as Graham thankfully pointed out, Multiple times in a many-minute period, I have COVID, uh, but um, I also have a heart full of gratitude for you, our listeners. Um, you managed to put up with all of this nonsense. You're willing to put up with all of our deep dives, our ridiculous, uh, almost endless carping about, oh, God, honestly, Graham is is being is not being uh, hyped hyperbolic in any way the art in the aliens comic is is fucking horrible um you know you put up with that and the people uh on patreon not only put up with it they they also put us up as it were with a little bit of their hard-earned dosh we are grateful to everyone for your ongoing support whether with your ears and or your ears and a little bit of the coin um special thanks goes out to empress audrey queen of the galaxy for her ongoing support of this podcast she's trying with everything else celestially speaking she's trying and frankly you know it wouldn't surprise me if she too had covid and is not quite at 100 percent anymore so what can we say that's 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 my incredibly chipper but deeply deeply dark if you think about it um thank you and salutations to you all graham what else can we say we can say bye